This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Cassie Hamer, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl, so much. I'm so delighted to be here. I listen to your podcast all the time. I'm a fan. I will not sing the theme music because it would not sound pretty, but rest assured, I could if I had to. (laughs) Well, I'm actually a bit nervous myself because um, you are more experienced and professional in this area of podcasting than I am. Not Um, in publishing, though. I'm a first-time author, so I absolutely defer to you in all matters of publishing. All right, let's see how we go. I'm going to introduce you. Uh, Cassie Hamer has a professional background in journalism and PR, but now prefers the world of fiction over fact. In 2015, she completed a master's creative writing and has since achieved success in numerous short story competitions. Earlier this year, she released, released her debut novel, After the Party, a compelling tale that's been compared to Leanne Moriarty and asked what you wouldn't do to save a child. Cassie lives in Sydney with her husband and children, and when she's not working on her second novel, she co-hosts Kids Spot Weekly Podcasts. See? Now you know my nervousness. It's called The Juggling Act, a candid and funny show that explores the trials and tribulations of modern parenting, and a very popular show. I love doing it, I must say. It's just me and one of my old friends, Mel, who's the editor of KidsBot, and we sit around and it's a bit like being at a mother's group or a therapy group. It's just like a chat between friends. It it really is a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Podcasting has changed our world, hasn't it, a bit? Uh, Completely. I think it is really the new radio. The, The beautiful thing about podcasting is the intimacy and the engagement that you get from the listener. And the other beauty of it, though, is that you can listen when you want to. Well, that's so the beauty, it, it just isn't it? suits yeah. the times that we're in of, of content being available um, on demand and people being able to hook into the niche um, interest that they want to hear about. Mm. It really is great. Fun. I mean, I, I love it. I'm, I'm I'm kind of addicted to several podcasts, mm. but you Me can too. you can go very very serious. Like you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to the Daily, the New York Times podcast. Um, which is very political and very serious, and then you can go to completely trivial. Yeah, at completely. Yeah, I complete, mean, you know, comedy. There's, you know, some, all there's sorts something of for everyone, Absolutely. and some of them are really tightly scripted, and the true tri- crime podcasting area has just yeah. exploded and Hasn't they're it? such highly produced um, content and then you get the really chatty conversational ones like mm. the one that I do um, mm. with KidSpot and, and the one that you do here at yeah. Better Reading. So yeah. there really is the whole range. Yeah, yeah. they're fantastic. Um, but do you know what's also fantastic is um, a lot of journalists have turned to ha- their hands to write. I know. I think have we're all frustrated <laughs> fiction writers. I yeah. mean, I guess, I mean, I was drawn into journalism because I did like to write and I had a, 
I guess, a natural curiosity about lots of different things. And I think that is similar to writing fiction. You have to really want to understand other people's stories. And that's the heart of journalism. But I think it is also um, the heart of fiction writing. I Mm. guess it's an exercise in empathy and stepping into someone else's shoes. But I mean, when I started out in journalism, I had no thought of being a creative writer. I um, I loved reading. I was that kid that just always had my and nose in the book. And you grew up in, in Sydney? Yeah, grew up in Sydney. Um, amazing family, beautiful parents. So as far as having fodder to write fiction, my childhood was an abject failure because it was just far too happy and content. And and I did read a lot, but all the authors I read were either English or American or they were long since dead. So I think the idea of being a writer just just didn't occur to me because I was just in that wave before the Melina Maquettas and the John Marsdens of the world. So um, journalism just seemed to be a practical career step to take. I because you like writing. Yeah, I really like writing and I really like getting out and meeting people and I went into TV journalism and it Tell is... Tell me a, what you did. So what was your first job? Oh, my first, my first job. I started work on the day Princess Diana died. Oh, wow. Mm. And you know, I, it's funny, we were only talking about that on the weekend where we were when that happened and I had a bookshop in Bondi and oh, I was... So you would have heard and everyone would right have been there. in shock. Yeah. And that is one of those days that people remember, like moon landings, you know, really um, important historical moments. And it was my first day, I was 21 years old, in Coffs Harbour, working for the local TV station. And so that day was a little unusual because normally we had to go out, I had to go out and gather three new stories. But on that day, the boss just said, oh, look, it's just all Princess Diana, you can just kind of cool your heels. So it was sort of a... Formatic yet easy introduction. Did you need to gather any information for that? I had to go and do some vox pops with people about Princess Diana. You know, what do people on the street of Coffs Harbour think of um, this tragic death? But most of that job was really gathering local news and um, I was from Sydney, I was very young, I didn't know anyone but that kind of job is amazing for immersing yourself into the local community because you have Mm. to hit the ground running. So It's interesting, um, community journalism, isn't it, and community Mm. papers? Um, Oh, it's... I was, yeah. When I was much younger, I was very dismissive of them. You know, I just, yeah. I just like used to think, oh, that's just yeah. garbage, yeah. you know. But as I'm getting older, the value of community news yeah. became more and more important to me. Yeah, I think um, especially in regional Australia, residents are very attached to their local mm. news service. It almost performs like a community service, I suppose. It is. And it, what's really sad is actually that the guts has been ripped out of it, as Globally. in all media. Yeah. It's, um, there's just not the money in it, unfortunately. So uh, I did a year in Coffs Harbour and then moved to Newcastle and spent three years working there for the local TV station. And one morning we all walked in and our lovely boss called us all together and she announced that the whole newsroom was shutting down and we're all made redundant in that one moment. There was about 20 of us. And it was quite a pivotal 
moment, I guess, for me, it was kind of what spurred me to come back to Sydney and then start working in journalism in Sydney. But I love that job so much and I yeah. think it was a huge loss to yeah. that community to, oh, to lose the local news. And what did you do when you got to Sydney? What kind of journalism? I went and worked for Channel 7 and I was doing graveyard shifts overnight oh. and taking sleeping tablets during the day to try and sleep and... Um, but gosh, it was fun. I was working with lots of young people. We were working on the Sunrise program, preparing news bulletins for that. And then I just kind of graduated through the ranks, went from producing and ended up doing on-the-road reporting for the 6pm news for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was that was a lot of fun, but I don't think I quite had the hard-edged personality that you really need to make it in that business like it's Mm. it's pretty tough it's pretty cutthroat and that was the early 2000s and I think things in commercial tv have changed a lot but it was quite the boys club and and Mm. I'm not I'm not a boys club kind of woman Mm. I suppose yeah so I found it challenging Mm. it was hard do you think it's changed Uh, I think it's changing, but you even look at the rubbish that's gone on around Georgie Gardner recently about, yeah, about her being kind of accused of being an ice queen. And that's absolutely gendered um, descriptions. It's it's sexism. It's quite sexist. I mean, no one would say that about a man. So while it's fabulous that we have these two incredible women fronting the Today Show, you still see this insidious sniping going on in the background. So no, things aren't perfect. Things still haven't Mm. changed, but I hope to God that they do because I have three young daughters and I want them to be going into a workforce that doesn't have that kind of rubbish Mm. in it, to be honest. That that whole um, gender conversation, particularly, well, I mean, it's almost in every industry, but particularly the media, Mm. it it shocks me because they're often reporting on on those sorts of topics, even newspapers, yet they're their behaviour is that. Yeah, they don't they don't um, uh, walk the talk. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, you still look at the major newsrooms around the country, all very much male dominated. The ABC yeah. did have a female head of news and current affairs, but that's very much the exception. So, you know, I spoke about it being a boys' club when I was there, and as I say, I think things are getting better. But I don't think it's. I don't think we're there yet. The struggle yeah. is still there is. to be yeah. struggled, and um, you know, Tracy Spicer has been such a inspiration to me in terms of the way she has stood up for herself in that yeah. industry and really mm-hmm. um, supported and encouraged other women to take action. But I think what she's had to do just demonstrates that there is still so much more work to be done. Mm-hmm. I agree with you totally. Um, okay, so when did you decide to turn, turn your hand to long-form writing? When did that happen? It happened... When was the seed <laughs> Yeah, when was the seed? It, it was after my second child, which is probably... It's probably the most inconvenient time to start writing when you have two very small children. Do you know, I've, I've heard that from a few writers oh, now yeah. that, that they started thinking about writing once they had their children. Yeah. And to me, that sounds like the most difficult time like sleep deprived exhausted 
and yet they're thinking about writing a book and they do yeah. and they often do it very, very well. <laughs> it, this whole um, concept of the maternity year book, I'm sure there's some kind of research study to be done about it because it is it's quite a phenomenon and in my situation I found it very difficult at times being a mother. Yeah. I think being alone with a crying child in a bedroom can be the loneliest place to be mm. in the world because that child's cry is designed to make you uh, respond. And I found that I was just in my own head too much and I needed something for me that I could do at home and working around the kids but would take me outside of my obsessing over them. Mm. So creative writing just seemed to be a natural fit because I did love reading so much. I'm first and foremost a reader, I'll die a reader. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That is just, mm. it's like a habit as much as breathing, I think, to me. Well, who are some of your favourite authors? Uh, okay. Sally Hepworth, I love. Natasha yeah. Lester, I love. Leanne Moriarty is like my goddess and I yeah. hate mentioning my own name in, in anywhere in connection with hers, but I love her. The great crime writers, Jane Harper, Emma Viskich, Dervla McTiernan, uh, Rachel Johns in women's fiction. There's some great romance writers that I love. My bedside table is pretty much exclusively Australian women See, writers. we talk about this a lot um, uh, at Better Reading is the surgeons or resurgence, if you like, but I think it's the surgeons mm. of, of, of Australian female fiction writers oh, yeah. um, and there are yeah. so many of them and they're so fantastic yeah. and the reading appetite has not dissipated. Yes. It's still going. People no. are looking for it all the time and we see that through the comments. Yeah. Um, and our readers are very discerning and they love to hear the authentic voice of a female fiction writer. I think it's an amazing time to be an Isn't Australian it? woman writer and I think we've everyone's realised that women's stories written by women have a huge appeal they to people. Do. It's no They're surprise. Authentic. Yeah, They're well, it's, it's relatable. I yeah. think we now understand that examining the domestic and putting it up to the light and representing it is a very valid form of entertainment and thinking and reflection. Mm. And I think feminism has helped us get to that point. Yeah. I still think there's further to go. Yeah. But um, women's voices, women's stories are very valid. Yeah. yeah, I love it. I think it's a great time to be writing. Okay, so then you've got two babies. 
I now have a third, which was yeah. like possibly an unwise decision, but let's yeah. not tell her that. No, hopefully she's not listening. Um, and then you talk about wanting to be creative. I would think that that would be the least sleep deprivation and exhaustion yeah. would probably not lead me to want to be creative. No. But it led you to want to be creative. Yeah, well, I th- it's a funny thing. Like you do, you are sleep deprived and you feel like you're in a bit of a fog, but a lot of parenting is so tedious and repetitive that you can actually let your mind kind of wander. Like when you're changing a nappy for the 2000th time, you don't have to even focus on that nappy anymore because your your hands just do the work. So your brain can just go yeah. into another sphere. And that, I guess, helped me kind of get through it all, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. And tell me, so how did that happen? Like you woke up one morning and thought, I'm going to – how does that happen? I think I just had a growing consciousness of the fact that other women and other mothers were doing it. And I started doing a mummy blog yeah. to kind of record my experiences. And I think I just wanted to take that next step and give it a go but you know what was really instrumental was reading a blog by Natasha Lester and it was called while the children were sleeping she's amazing and so supportive that's what I was just about to say and can I just interrupt you there to Mm. say that I find that there's a camaraderie between Australian female writers Mm. regardless of what state you're in and where you live and the support that I see on social media of Um, fellow writers is extraordinary. Yeah, it's one of the nicest things about writing and I think it's a bit of a well-kept secret in some ways. You know, people talk about the vitriol and online trolling and it's like, but you don't know about the writing community because it's really great. Because they're not like that. No. They're not like that. Neither are our our readers. They're not like that. No, I mean, I think readers and writers are a special bunch because I think the act of reading does make you empathetic or, um, you know, empathetic people are drawn to reading, I mm. suppose. Mm. Um, but, yeah, the the female writers, I think we're natural. Women are natural nurturers and supporters of each other and I've never um, subscribed to that theory that women in a group can't get along. That's absolutely not my experience of life. Do you know, I um, every time I go out there and meet um, anybody, like Natasha, like mm. Tess Woods, like Rachel, like all of you, like you, they always tell me about the other female writers. Yeah. Oh, and, and you should read so-and-so because she's fantastic and you should read so-and-so. And there's that generosity that really yeah. I don't see in any other group. No, I agree. And I think, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about publishing is there's not huge amounts of money in it for no, everyone. So no. we're all doing it basically for the love of it. And I think that means we do want to raise up other women because, I mean, my theory is that the the more people who get reading, it doesn't matter what book it is, but oh, it, it serves us all, absolutely. I think, in the end. So, um yeah, it's really lovely. I'm so chuffed, honestly. It is so <laughs> well, nice. It is. It really is. Okay, so tell me. So then you decide you're going to write? Yes. Wrote, tell two, me. wrote two really sad and serious manuscripts, which will never, never see the light of day. But I think I was um, at that point influenced by being at university and university creative writing courses do angle you towards a certain form of writing, which is quite a literary style. But it just took me some time to find my natural voice, which is much more... um, What do you think about writing courses? Oh, I think they're wonderful. I agree, yeah. yeah. There are, some people have suggested to me that perhaps 
they're not bringing out the creativity in people. But for me as a reader, because I'm not a writer, but as a reader, I find that if the person has the craft of writing and you meld that with a good story, then you have a good book. Because sometimes you have a good story and they can't tell a story. Yeah, it's not executed well. And I think um, that's right. I would recommend anyone to do any kind of writing course Mm. that they can because I think the main thing that's difficult when you're a writer is that you do it in isolation. And the one thing you really need is feedback and the support of other writers around you. I think the feedback thing is particularly crucial so if you are looking into a writing course definitely try to get one where you're going to get some feedback either from your fellow course participants or from the lecturer because that's to me that is the way to improve Mm. and Mm. but it's scary it's hard to put yourself out there you feel like it's your whole heart and soul that's on the page and I understand that that makes you feel very vulnerable but um I just think it's the only way. It's the mm. only way to get better. I think. Okay, so tell me about um, uh, your writing um, discipline um, mm. because, as you know, a lot of our uh, writers talk about that on this podcast and I know our yeah. readers really appreciate it and our would-be writers appreciate it. Uh, tell me about the process of that once you decided to do the book. How did you make that happen? Um, I gave myself six months um, yeah. because I had a daughter in preschool three days a week and I was just finishing off some um, university studies in teaching as a kind of a, you know, backstop to actually earn an income. So you're and a journalist, you're a novelist and you're a teacher. Yeah, English language <laughs> teaching, which I really love. Um, but I just thought, okay, I've got six months. I'm going to knock out a draft and see what happens. I'm going to give this thing another shot after those two shocking manuscripts. And so I did, and then I got feedback on that from an editor, Kim Swivel, who's actually a writer herself under the name Kim Kelly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she was amazing. She gave me very honest and forthright feedback, mm-hmm. which made me inhale <laughs> a little, and uh, and then I took a look and she was spot on. There were so many things mm-hmm. I needed to change, so I rewrote a lot of it. And then started submitting to agents and publishers. And would you write, when would you write during the day? During the day. So my kids are at school generally. I find between nine and two is a pretty perfect amount of writing for me. Um, These days I'm aiming for a word count of 2,000 words a day. I don't often, I don't always hit that, but I really try to get close. And I find that I'm pretty mentally done if I Mm. can get to that point. Like I just want to crawl under the table if I can get to 2,000 words. But usually I try and pre-plan a bit of what I'm going to write that day so that I know what the chapter is going to look like and where the conflict is going to be in the chapter and, and how I think it will end and how I think the character will change in that chap- chapter. And do you write in chronological order? Is that how you Yeah, write generally. Yeah, yeah, generally I do. That's yeah. what works for me. I know that a lot of people write out of order and plot and some pants and I kind of do a bit of a mixture of those things but pretty much in chronological order. Okay, so tell me about the story about After the Party. How did that come to you? Well, it's the story of a fifth birthday that goes really horribly badly and then has life-changing consequences for the mother who's hosted it. And I have three daughters. They're quite small. I have had some pretty chaotic parties. So I was writing a lot from personal experience and I noticed this weird thing where 
you host kids' parties and parents will accompany the child up until about the age of four. And then once they turn five, all the parents just disappear and suddenly you are left with potentially 20 five-year-olds and not a single other parent to help you host the party. So I just started thinking, I wonder how someone could exploit that scenario. And that's how the story came to me. Mm. I, I reckon at that point you would start reducing the numbers from 25 yeah. to 5. Yeah. So here's a good rule of thumb. You invite as many guests as the age of the child. So five guests for a five-year-old, 10 guests for a 10-year-old. But when you're a first-time parent, you're an idiot and you don't get that. So you just think, oh, I'm going to invite 20 kids, you know, the more the merrier. No, don't do that. Just, yeah, keep it small. Yeah. Oh, well, Cassie, thank you so much for coming in to chat with us today and congratulations on your book, After the Party. Um, it's been, a, I think it's been a hit already in our oh, reading community. Oh, really? Well, oh, they're enjoying it very much. That's awesome. If you I, read the that comments. That makes me feel happy. Yeah, if you read the comments, they're enjoying it very much. Congratulations. Thank you, Cheryl. It's been a lot of fun to be here. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.